Growing up, Ana Ceseta was a smart kid. She tested into her school's gifted program and spent almost all of her spare time reading. But there was no moment she dreaded more than when report cards came out. The teachers would just like tell my parents like towards the end of the semester or something and be like, oh, she's failing like algebra because she's not studying and not doing the homework. So I think a lot of times they would be shocked because they'd be like, wait, what? Anna had a hard time focusing. She'd usually sit in the back of class and discreetly read Stephen King novels or listen to music from her headphones. And like clockwork, at the end of every semester, she'd find herself at the kitchen table, her dad looking over her report card, lecturing her. He would always say, he'd be like, you're not taking this seriously. And you would feel like, oh gosh, I feel like I want to disappear. (laughs) She'd slump in her chair, fighting back tears. Sometimes she'd mentally try to check out of the conversation and play her favorite Green Day song over and over in her head. Keep in mind, this was the 90s. Her dad just didn't get it. He'd ask her, why are you failing your classes? What is going on? Like, why are you not doing your homework? They would be asking me these questions, and I just really didn't know how to answer that. Education was a big deal in her family. Her grandparents flew to all of her and her cousins' graduations, even for kindergarten. Her dad has a master's degree, her mom a PhD, and they proudly hung their college diplomas in their home office. Diplomas that her dad would regularly remind her did not come easily. He would, he would stress that and they'd be like, that's like disrespectful to me and the work that I've put in. At least that's how I understood it, that I was disrespecting him because he had worked so hard. Her dad was the first in his family to graduate from college. And even as a kid, Anna knew the stories about his childhood and just how difficult it was. He came to the U.S. as an immigrant and he was a farm worker. Like he was working ever since he was like six years old. He came from Mexico with his family, and they'd moved from state to state working on farms. And as migrant workers, they stayed in camps. Like not houses, not a neighborhood, like a labor camp. The living conditions were really poor, and the pay was terrible. Like way below any kind of minimum wage. He he grew up in poverty. And how would you feel when you'd hear those stories about him? Oh, I would feel guilty. She desperately wanted to live up to her dad's expectations. You know, get good grades, go to college, and get a good job. My dad was like, look, like, all I want for you is to be happy and be, like, financially secure. He's like, I'm not going to be able to help you out, like, forever. So I need to, like, I want to know that you're going to be okay. Anna wasn't sure if she could live up to his version of okay. But she also wasn't sure she could live with not being that. You know, I did not want to disappoint him. It's like, I kind of felt like I can't be this person that's like dragging my family down. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This episode comes from one of our listeners, Anna Saseta, and it's a story about trying to live up to the expectations our family set for us. Oftentimes, we're given a script, a sort of prepackaged timeline we're told to follow in order to be quote-unquote successful. But what if that script just doesn't work for you? This week, Anna, overwhelmed by all of the pressures, tries her best to not go off script. The moment Anna felt like her life started going off script, veering away from her dad's vision of what life was supposed to look like, 
was at her high school graduation. Her school had a policy. If you fail a core class, you can't walk at graduation. And Anna was failing English. It was like down to the wire where we didn't know yet if I was going to be able to walk or not. And they kind of like the day of graduation, they were like, no, sorry, like she's not going to be able to walk in graduation. And Mm. so I told my mom, like, call my grandparents and other people that were coming over and tell everybody to not come and to just tell them that I was sick. She felt ashamed. Up until that point, her friends and relatives had always just assumed she was a good student. I think sometimes like the, the image that I was trying to portray to people like would give me enough confidence to be like, yeah, I'll live up Mm. to this image. Like I'll fake it till I make Mm -hmm, it or something. mm -hmm. And then to know that, that then everybody knew that that was a lie felt like, Oh, okay. No, I am actually a failure. And worst of all, she felt like she'd let her dad down. While all of Anna's friends walked across that stage, their families cheering them on, she stayed in bed, crying under the covers. But then my mom kind of came in and she was like, hey, we tried to tell everybody not to come. Sorry, I get all emotional about this. She's like, but, um, you know, they're still going to come. They threw a small barbecue for her in the backyard with her aunts, uncles, and grandparents. No one brought up the fact that she didn't actually graduate that day. She wouldn't until after she finished summer school. After that, Anna was determined to redeem herself. She recommitted herself to the prescribed path. And that fall, she enrolled in a community college in San Francisco. Her parents agreed to pay rent for an apartment so she could move out and get the full college experience. And so then I kind of felt like, oh, okay, like I can start over again. It felt like a big relief. When she went to pick a major, she convinced herself she wasn't any good at math or science. So she just referred back to her parents' life. And I thought that I was supposed to be like my parents, like my parent, you know, my my mom had a degree in sociology. Mm. My dad, I think, had a degree in political science. That was like my template. So she decided to major in humanities. And she told herself, this time I'm going to be hyper-focused and be the kind of student her parents always wanted. I remember approaching studying, being like, okay, this is a clean slate and you're going to be like the best student ever and you need to be really on top of it. But right away, she was having the same issues and worse. She'd been diagnosed with depression, which made it hard to concentrate. And she was just overwhelmed. Sitting in her classes, she wasn't sure how much she should focus on the professor versus taking down notes. And when she'd get home, she'd find herself highlighting almost every passage in her textbooks, not sure which parts to retain. Her grades started to tank. And that started this vicious cycle. She'd enroll in classes, struggle, her grades would drop, and then she'd withdraw from those classes. How many classes in total do you think you withdrew from? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think in that first, like, three or four years, I maybe withdrew, like, from 50% of my classes. She kept telling herself, no problem, I'll finish them next semester. But four years into community college, as her friends started graduating with their bachelors, Anna still hadn't even finished her core classes. And it was really just kind of like a lie that I was telling myself to be like, no, 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 you can do, you've got this, like, you'll catch Mm -hmm. up. And then... Finally having to, like, sit with myself for a second and face reality and be like, no, you're, you're not actually going to be able to catch up and you're not 
It just is not working. And her parents were paying for all of this every time she dropped and re-enrolled in a new class. Would they get refunds? No. Oh. It would... Yeah, it just would feel, like, awful. Like, it's, it was not, it's not, like, easy for them to just pay for my rent and pay for my books. Like, it was, like, mm-hmm. a finan- it was a bit of a financial, you know, strain that would be, like, you're building up this debt to my parents. She finally decided she just couldn't keep racking up that debt, financially or emotionally. So she called up her parents, and with her dad's immigrant story ringing in her head, she broke the news. You know, I think I'm just going to focus on working and I'm not going to enroll in classes. And I remember my dad saying, well, you know, that means like we're not going to pay for your, you know, we're not going to help you pay for rent anymore if you're not going to be going to school. Coming up after the break, Anna tries it her own way. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. When Anna dropped out of college, her dad told her he supported her decision, as long as she eventually went back to school. And she said, of course, I will. This was a temporary solution until I was able to go back to school. There really wasn't a world that existed where I wouldn't just have a college degree. In the meantime, Anna got a job as a waitress at this 1950s-style diner. And at the beginning, it didn't seem so bad. She liked thinking on her feet and being friendly to customers. And it felt like maybe it was totally fine that she hadn't hit the college grad milestone when her friends did, especially when she saw that first paycheck. When my friends were just graduating from college and in their entry-level jobs, like, there was a point in time where I was, like, making more money than them, (laughs) waiting tables. It just made me think, like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't, like, the worst mistake not going to school Mm -hmm. because I'm doing better than them. But Anna says she was terrible at managing her money. After a couple years of waitressing, she was still living paycheck to paycheck and was avoiding thinking seriously about her future, which her dad picked up on. Like, my dad was just, like, he would never really say anything, but it's just, like, a feeling that you get that Mm. he is worrying about you. Like, if we'd have lunch or something and we'd be, like, like saying goodbye, he'd be like, okay, I love you. And he's like, I just worry about you, kid. How did it make you feel to hear that? It does sometimes feel like pressure. Like you're like, oh, you know, especially as my parents are getting older and I'd be like, I just don't want them to worry. By the time she turned 24, Anna thought, okay, now I'm serious. Now I'm going to go back to school. And this time she didn't want to burden her parents. She was going to pay for it herself with student loans. 
She signed up for a class or two, something she could just juggle while also waitressing full-time. But slowly, the same thing happened that happened before. She'd sign up for a couple classes, get overwhelmed, and then withdraw. Then I tried to take them all again. Then she dropped them, enroll again. Next semester, tried to enroll in them again. Withdraw, enroll, withdraw, enroll. It would be like a loop of like mm-hmm. Groundhog's Day. How many times do you think you tried to go back? Uh, I, I, I mean, I almost want to say like every semester, <laughs> like 12 or 13 years. Oh, wow. Every semester for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. Almost every semester, I would at least enroll. How much in student loans did you take out over the course of your 20s? Uh, close to 20000 Those 12 years, by the way, include all the classes she's done since graduating high school. She says in all that time, she completed the equivalent of about a semester or two worth of classes. She felt like she'd reached her breaking point. She was over college, over her waitressing job, over feeling like she was letting her parents down. And she felt frustrated. She could never seem to save any money. She'd see her coworkers go on vacations she couldn't afford and wonder what she was doing wrong and why she was now in her late 20s still leaning on her parents for financial support. Because over the years, whenever she'd have a medical emergency or something would go wrong, she'd call them up and ask for help. There was one time she was at work and sprained her ankle, and right away she broke into tears, not because it hurt, but because she knew that would mean at least a month off of work. When she called her dad to tell him, she braced herself for the inevitable. What? Like, that's literally what he would say. He'd be like, what? And it'd be kind of like a, like yelling. And I just like cringe. I just like would just want to retreat inside myself hearing that because it's just like, oh no. And at that point, it was more just like, I just knew, I knew his blood pressure was going up. I knew I was causing him more stress. I knew he was making the financial calculations in his head about how much, like, they were going to have to help me out with. Her dad never hesitated, though. He'd always do whatever he needed to make sure she was okay. But then he'd say the one phrase she hated to hear the most, his most common refrain. I'm just really worried because, like, one day we're not going to be here to help you. In those moments, Anna's brain would spiral a bit. She'd ask herself, why am I in this position? If I'm leaning on my parents, that must mean I'm not doing something right. That must mean I'm not working hard enough. And if I'm not working hard enough, then I'm not grateful for, like, you know, the sacrifices and the hard work that he put in. And if I'm not grateful, then am I showing him that I love him enough? You've almost felt like if you weren't hitting these milestones or doing what you thought you should do, then you were afraid, in a way, you were telling your dad that you don't love him? Right. Yeah. And also, I felt like he worked so hard, he should deserve, like, some relief or, like, some to, to, just, to just be able to enjoy his success. But I felt like he can't because if he's always worrying about me, then he can't, like, fully relax Oh, interesting. So you felt like you were sort of like the barrier to his happiness. Yeah. I guess I just kind of started to tell myself, like, I'm just a person who's just like never going to get it together. It started to feel like that. Anna was in the middle of wrestling with all of this when her friend's mom came for a visit. 
They were all hanging out for the day, doing touristy things around San Francisco. And Anna was answering questions about her life and her job. And at one point, while standing in front of this beautiful garden, her friend's mom suddenly turned to her and said, She's like, what are you doing? Like, you're really smart. And like, why, why aren't you, you know, why haven't you finished school? And I said, well, I'm going to go to school, go back to school. Anna was like, yeah, well, it's just a matter of time, but I'm eventually going to study sociology or go into social work like my parents. The woman heard this and said, but why? You've tried that already, and it doesn't seem like a great fit. She was just like, no, no, but what are you doing? And so she kind of, when I got to the meat of it, she's Mm. like, she's like, that doesn't seem like it's working for you. Instead, the woman was like, maybe school isn't working for you because you just haven't picked the right path. Maybe you should consider a career in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Subjects that for a long time, Anna had convinced herself she just wasn't any good at. And then kind of broke it down and said, look, all you got to do is take these set of classes. You should definitely just try it. And then I think the thing that stuck with me, too, was she was like, don't let anyone tell you that you're not good at STEM. Like, why have you told yourself that? Like, have you really asked yourself why you think that? She was so, like, blunt and honest that it was kind of hard not to listen to her. Sometimes when you're feeling lost or torn, it can just take one person, one conversation to help turn your life in a different direction. And oftentimes, this person can show up randomly, unannounced. Maybe like in Anna's case, they're not even that significant in your life. But they can help nudge you towards a path that didn't feel possible or even existent before. Anna went home that night and started looking up courses. Eventually, she was re-enrolled in college full-time. But instead of English and sociology, she signed up for chemistry and biology— And within a few weeks, something previously unthinkable happened. I started, like, doing really, really well. Like, all of a sudden, I just started getting A's in, like, every class I was taking. This time around, something for Anna just clicked. She joined a campus club for people of color pursuing STEM careers. And that's where she first learned about coding. Turns out she had a natural knack for it, so she signed up for a coding program. Once I started doing it, I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, it just, like, I feel good at this. Like, I feel like this is doable. Like, mm-hmm. this is something that I can kind of, like, thrive in. This is kind of sad and, like, messed up that, like, I didn't, you know, I couldn't tap into this when I was younger. I think oftentimes we build these fixed narratives about ourselves, about what we're good at, what we're not. And many times they're based on faulty information, like maybe that classroom setting just wasn't right for you, or you got stuck with a bad biology teacher, or maybe you just weren't ready yet. Like for Anna, a big part of why she thinks it worked this time is because she finally had access to affordable health care, like therapy and medication for her depression. As she learned to code, it made her reevaluate everything that came before this. Like, why did she think she had to go to college right out of high school? I just regret feeling like I had to keep struggling to try and do something that wasn't working for me at the time. Or just not have punished myself so much because for for a very long time I carried around this label that I was like, you dropped out, you're a failure, Mm. you know? At 38 years old now, Anna thinks of college much differently. She no longer sees it as this requisite for a good life. She completed a one-year coding program, and she's also got a bachelor's, a liberal arts degree cobbled together from all the classes she'd taken over the years. But the irony is that had she just done the coding program and never gotten her formal degree, it probably wouldn't have made a difference in her current career. In the industry that I'm in now, you don't 
Like they could care less about my degree, (laughs) Mm. you know? (laughs) Initially, her parents were surprised when she said she was going into coding. Like, why tech? But when she landed her first job making $80,000, her dad could hardly believe it. Her parents threw her a party in the backyard, and her dad was beaming with pride. He was like on cloud nine. (laughs) He was doing this really embarrassing Mm. thing. But he was like, he was going around telling, he would tell people like what my salary, he's like, yeah, she got this job and she's making this much. And I was like, dad, stop. Like, that's not cool. That's so cute. (laughs) Since graduating, Anna spent a lot of time thinking about her 20s and how her dad actually felt. Yeah, this is uh, Leo Salceda. That's Anna's dad. We brought them together to talk about all of this. Dad, you always tell us, like, I think maybe every conversation we have, uh, that you're always going to worry about me and Martina. Like, you'll never stop. But, like, is there a place where you would see me reaching where you would maybe stop worrying at least a little bit? <laughs> when you grow up poor, you almost have a, a mentality of survival. And so you're almost always expecting something bad to happen. And uh, it's that kind of worrying. It's, it's just worrying about your well-being. And uh, I think that when you start learning about coding, that's when I started worrying less. Because I knew you didn't want to wait on tables for your whole life. That's what I was worried about, that you would end up doing something that you didn't want to do. Yeah, so like when I was working in the service industry... And I hadn't finished college. Yeah, were you concerned that I was going down a bad path? No, if you had wanted to do that, I would have supported that. I wouldn't have looked down on you because that's what you chose to do. And I think I told you that. The important thing was that you're happy and that you're, you feel that you're being successful, you know. Because mm-hmm. you got to enjoy what you're doing. And some people go through a life, I mean, they become professionals and stuff, but they're miserable because they never feel like that's what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. So you just didn't want me to get stuck doing something that I didn't, like, enjoy doing? Yeah. I mean, I was more worried about that. But the way you kept trying to finish school while trying to make a living, the way you were waiting on tables all these years and you kept saying, this is not what I want to do. As a father, I never gave up hope that you would, eventually make it and, uh, and and not make it in a sense, but that you would make it to where you could support yourself, but that you could also be happy. In. Um, you helped me out multiple times while I was waiting tables during school. So I always had kind of this safety net, um, you know, and so I just thought, how, how much longer are they going to be like endlessly supportive? It's not a hesitation. I mean, in our family growing up, uh, in a Mexican-American family is it doesn't matter what's going on, you're always there to help your family. Well, I want to feel like at some point you and mom could now rely on me. Um, I know we're, dad, don't worry. I know mm. we're ways off from that. <laughs> but that would be the goal, like contribute to the family financially in that sense because I feel like I've been taking a lot. So I want to feel like I'm starting to give it back. It, it's kind of hard to say, but it's it's almost like that's what's expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not even like a thing where it's like, oh, wow, you do. It's no, like, it's like, it's uh, just like, yeah, hello. I think the, uh, 
you take up older people, you don't kick them out into a nursing right. home unless there's some medical reason that you have to absolutely have to do that. You know, and I, I think Anna, I'm, I'm really proud of her to what she's able to accomplish. I told her to that, and I'm not sure that she, I'm not sure that she really hears that when I say that, and, and what it, it means to me, to say that. Because I really feel that she's overcome a lot. And uh, I'm just really proud of her. It's been a few years since she started her career in coding. And as it goes with any industry, it hasn't all been rosy. She's gotten laid off twice, once because her company downsized and another time because of the pandemic. She has a job now, but she's realized no matter what path she's on, there will always be new anxieties. I kept thinking I'm going to reach this place where, like, you'll have full peace. Like, you know, like, Mm. you're not going to have to be worrying about your set. And I'd be like, no, um, you know, now there's a whole other set of things to worry about. Mm -hmm. Are you going to buy a house at some point? (laughs) Mm. Are you set up for retirement? (laughs) So I realized, like, oh, yeah, there's no, like, terminal, like, you know, there's no, like, thing where you're like, now I've made it and I never right. have to worry now anymore. Right, I can relax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes life can feel like you're just chasing one milestone after another, breaking your back to get that job so you can settle down, so you can have kids, so then you can buy a house, then save, then retire, and then hope your kids do the same thing all over again. Having been on her own pathway and the one she felt pressure to be on, Anna's learned that no path, prescribed or improvised, is a sure one. And none of them have a final destination. There will always be a new worry, a new thing to chase. And so sometimes it is okay, or maybe even better, to go off script. All right, that is all for this week's show. We will be back with a new episode next week. But in the meantime, if you want more, this is uncomfortable. Each Friday, I write about what's on my mind in our newsletter, which includes some recommendations from the team on things to read and cook and watch. A lot of great stuff in there. You can check it out by subscribing at marketplace.org comfort. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Jerez, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Pierre Balanon-Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. Megan Dietry lead-produced this episode. Our intern is Mark Hay Green. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Scoring and audio engineering by Charlton Thorpe. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. 
You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.